Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, if you will. Matthew chapter 9. We are continuing a series that we started last week. In fact, we're continuing lead from the parable that Jesus taught out of uh, one passage out of Matthew chapter 9 about putting new wine into new wineskins and making some applications and drawing some understandings from that passage. And uh, last week we started, and I'm going to do a quick review because we're going to finish the message from last Sunday. Some, I, ha I had several people say, oh, I can't wait to find out the solutions this week. And the solutions won't be coming this week. In fact, it's going to take a while. Um, this Sunday is it's kind of setting up. Uh, the way I approach a series is that I, I, I address the issue or the end game, what is, what is necessary, right up front. And then go, accord, go see how the Bible says to handle the problem or the issue or the situation or whatever it is. And so over the course of the next several months, I'm going to be laying out some, whole, some ideas on, on the thought of new. If you watched our invitation last night, <laughs> uh, Zach jumped on with me and uh, getting a lot of getting some feedback here. And uh, I laid out kind of a plan of what we're looking at uh, coming up after Easter. Easter is kind of our target right now. Uh, it seems like we might be able to reopen some after Easter. For those of you who are watching online, uh, we, we uh, distance here at the church and we have uh, most everything we do right now is online. Uh, but after Easter, the first big thing we're going to kick off is a brand new Wednesday night service, brand new Wednesday night program. And uh, we're going to have something for everybody. We're going to have a children's program. Uh, eventually, we want to see our kids program on Wednesday nights evolve into the Awana program. If you've ever been involved in Awana, it is, in my mind, it's absolutely the best children's program out there. Uh, and then we're going to have different Bible studies. And we're going to have uh, whatever uh, the, the teachers that I have that are going to be teaching, I'm going to leave it up to them. Uh, Pastor Osvaldo is going to be having a class that he's teaching. And uh, we're also going to be, that, those are going to be breakout small group Bible studies. The whole, fight, the whole thing is going to kick off. We're going to meet, all the adults are going to meet in here. We're going to have a, a time of prayer. Uh, that's something we truly need to get back to in churches, but especially in our church. And then we'll break out for small groups. And one new thing we're going to have, for those of you who can't make it on Wednesday nights, um, the way we're doing Bible study right now, uh, I do a Bible study online. Uh, that is going to continue. It doesn't matter if anybody is in here or not in my Bible study, my Bible study will be online. So we're going to be covering, we're going to have people who can be here live in small groups we're also going to be offering for those people who can't make it out. I know in the, in the wintertime, many of our older people can't drive at night. And I know that some people get off work and, and or some people, we even have people that watch us at work, which is pretty cool. So that's something we're going to be kicking off. And that's the first big change that we're going to be making to address our, uh, to address new in our church. And that those Wednesday night Bible studies, uh, we're going to have everything from discipleship to apologetics. We're going to have a lot of different classes you could take and get involved. Some family life matters, uh, family life issues, marriage issues, raising children issues. So I'm excited about what God is doing, and it's kind of formulating in my head right now. I'm putting a lot of things down on paper and uh, seeing where God is going to take it. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're at. 
And let's go ahead and read verses 14 through 17. And then I'm going to do, like I said, I'm going to do a quick review of some things we covered last week and then get into the second half of this message. Then John's disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins, will, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. That's the, the, the last part of that is what we're going to be talking about, putting new wine into new wineskins. And as I told you last, last week, back in these days, wineskins were made literally from the skins of animals, usually the, the skins of goats. And they would pour the new wine into it, and they would allow it to ferment. And during the fermenting process, wine causes the container that it's in to expand. And that wineskin would grow and grow and grow and grow. And what Jesus was saying is, if you take an old wineskin and put new wine into it, you might be able to get more new wine into that skin at first, but as that, skin, as that wine ferments and grows, it's going to expand, and pretty soon that wineskin is going to be stretched beyond capacity, and it's going to break, and you're going to lose not only the wineskin, but you're also going to lose the wine. I said this last week as well. We're going through amazing, majoral cultural changes in our country, in our world, and in the church. And those cultural changes are not just in the church out there. They're not just in the world out there. Those changes are here. We are seeing those cultural changes within our own church. Now, whether you like changes or not, whether you think they're good or bad or indifferent is not the issue. Okay? The fact that people think that, follow me here, the fact that, the fact that people think it's good, bad, or indifferent is part of the problem, okay? And you'll understand what I'm saying as we continue to go along. I shared, with you some, I shared some statistics last week that I want to share again. While nearly 70% of pastors believe that they are meaningfully engaging their congregations on issues of social responsibility, only 30% of 18 to 35-year-olds see it the same way. Right there tells you there is an enormous gap culturally, between young people and leadership of a church. And it doesn't matter, this was, the 70% of pastors didn't, wasn't broken down by age group. That is just 70% of pastors, period. <clears throat> During the pandemic, 12% of Americans say they've attended church live in the past month. 33% say they have watched church online in the past month. 33% and then I said, here's where it gets sad. 3% of non-church attenders before the pandemic have attended church in the past month. Only 3% of non-church attenders have actually walked through the doors of a church. Over, you realize it's been a year now, right? It's been almost a year. Almost a year that this has been going on. 17% of non-church attenders before the pandemic have watched online TV. And only 2% of regular church attenders anticipate watching more virtual church after the pandemic. What this means, and I'm, I'm, actually very, I'm, I'm actually happy about this. 
I think there's a lot of sadness in there, but I think there's some positivity to draw. The positivity that I draw from this is, the, is this fact. Virtual church is not the future of the church. The local church is. It always has been, it always will be, and the local church is God's plan, God's vehicle for reaching this world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So all of this time, that's go- all of this year that's gone on and everything that's been going on with virtual church and the way, we, the way churches have bombarded uh, the internet, Facebook, YouTube, all these different ways and means of getting it out there hasn't even, hasn't even had a major positive effect on the church itself. We haven't even, we haven't really reached anybody outside the church no evangelism has been going on. I mean, there's, there are pockets of it here and there, but the statistics tell us that we've had a year of wasted time. And I'm just, I'm just being very honest. As a pastor, as I look at the numbers um, straightforwardly, we have not seen much. What we have done is hang on. Okay, we've, we've hung on. We've hung on for dear life. But if this continues, I don't, think the ch- I don't think the church would last another year in this, in this way. And if we're not ready, if we don't have a plan, if we don't address some things right now, then we may not last another six months. I'm not talking about our church. Specifically, I'm talking about the witness of the church nationwide. 60% of Americans have not watched virtual church. That leaves 33%, uh, which is the approximate number of evangelicals in America. 50% of millennial Christians, those are 38 and under, have not participated in church, have not participated in church during the pandemic, and 35% of Gen Xers have stopped. That's age 39 to 54. 54 years old and younger, I don't make that cut. I'm over 54. So, so the generation, the generations, it's a multi-generational problem, 54 and under, Almost half have not, do you realize that? I mean, that's amazing. Almost half have not participated in church during this pandemic. Of all Americans, 54 years old and under. 75% made a few statements that I'm going to repeat before we get into the new part. You see that putting new wine, new wine into old wineskins won't work. Because putting new wine, skins, new wine into old wineskins will result in the loss of both. And we've been doing that. That's been part of the problem. And I'll, this week we're going to get into a little bit, a lot more of where the problem lies. It's not always about needing to fix a broken system or a broken group. The fact is, sometimes we simply need to start over and build something better something more functional that will better meet the needs of those we're trying to reach. What, we're say, what, what they're saying out there, and even what our people are saying, what our own people are saying, what followers of Jesus are saying, what evangelicals are saying, even many lulifers, what they're saying is, what you're offering to me, even before the pandemic, what you're offering is not what I need. It's not what I'm looking for. There's reasons for that. We've allowed them to get to that point. There are far, far, uh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. 
Nope, no, that's, that's the right one. C.S. Lewis said there are far, far better things ahead than what we are leaving behind. That has got to be our mantra. That's got to be our battle cry. We're always chasing towards something. We're always reaching towards something new. Quite simply, something has to give. There's no way that we can fulfill the mission that we've been called to effectively and to the greatest potential unless and until we are finally willing to give, uh, get beyond our differences, our disagreements, our division, everything that stands between us and people, determined to make changes to us and then live that change. We have got to be, we've got to determine to make changes. Now, this second half of this message is going to be more of last week. It's going to be stuff that people don't want to hear. Many of you who are here live and many are watching us on Facebook or YouTube, you're not going to want to hear what I have to say. I promise you. Some of you will, some of you won't. But I ask you to listen. And don't just be critical because that's what we've become. We've become a criticism society. We criticize everything. Nobody can have their own opinion. Nobody can express their own thought without being attacked. The art of, or from their point of view, we no longer even try to understand the other side. We are right, that's all that matters, and if you don't get on board with us, then you lose. And it's become a win-lose proposition. How do we as believers in a church bridge the great chasms, those great divides, those distractions to ministry that exist for no other reason than to keep people from accepting Jesus? <clears throat> Said last week, I think to try to better, to, to honestly understand the problem, we have to be willing to accept some difficult truths about ourselves, our churches, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. First one last week, if you remember, I said too many of us are saved and satisfied. That's an old phrase from the 60s and the 70s. Uh, pastors used to use that, and I brought it, I dusted it off and brought it back, man. Too many of us have become saved and satisfied. So heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. You remember that, right? We're so worldly minded that we've forgotten our eternal purpose. And I think that's the biggest challenge in the church. We have forgotten the teaching, or we've ignored the teaching of Jesus Christ that says you're in this world, but not of this world. That this world is not your home. That this world, the possessions, the things of this world are not supposed to be what you desire. You're supposed to be desiring greater things, greater blessings, a different country, a new home. And that's heaven. We have been promised by Jesus that life is going to be difficult. We know that. We know that. We preach it all the time. In fact, we're called warriors. We're called overcomers. We're called conquerors. We're given armor. We're given a sword. And we're told to prepare for battle. We're told to prepare for war. These are not indicative of a life that consists of a walk in the park. They're indicative of difficulty and stress and fighting and warfare. Jesus said a time will come when you won't have to worry about these anymore, but that is in the future when we get to heaven. 
The Bible says that God is our refuge. He's our strong tower. He's our strength. He's our ever-present help when we are in trouble. And we have forgotten to rely on him in those difficult times. Jesus is no longer our go-to. Prayer is no longer our go-to. We have decided that it's more important to fight for our civil rights in this country because the government is going to bail us out of every problem we have rather than going to God and letting him work his plan through us, even if it means struggle on our part. That brings us to the next section of this message, and this is where we pick up and start new. The second problem I think that we have to admit, and this is, I'll explain it a little bit more after I say it, okay? We have simplified and modified our faith and turned it into an app on our phone. We have simplified and modified our faith and we've turned it into an app on our phone. Now, we have apps. We have a church app. You can give. Do you realize, do <laughs> you realize, Osvaldo, Pastor Osvaldo, did you ever, when you church, to get what they want from church, do you realize we can do that, Cliff? You can give online. And, and we do that. I think, I think it's great. I think it's secure. I think it's a wonderful tool. You can watch church online. You can use your phone for a Bible. You no longer have to buy and own a physical Bible. You no longer have to do this. We have made it in, you don't have to buy music. You can listen to Christian music on your phone. You can do everything you want to be a quote-unquote good church member through an app on your phone. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what Jesus commanded us to do? Is that what his intention was? No. I don't, think, I don't think these apps are bad. There are times when I go for a drive, maybe you're the same way. I have, uh, I have Bluetooth in my truck and I can hook my phone up to the, the, the sound system and I'll put on the Bible and I'll listen to the Bible when I'm driving. And if I'm taking a longer drive, I'll go to, I'll, I'll find a, a sermon. I'll pull up an old Ravi Zacharias sermon or a David Jeremiah or any, you, know, you, you can go to some of these apps again that have all these different speakers and I'll listen to it. When I go for my long bike rides in the summer, I'll listen to two or three sermons while I'm riding for 20, 25 miles. And I think it's a great, I think these things are great tools. But we've gone beyond the tool stage with these, these, these things and they have replaced the church. They've literally replaced the church. We no longer, we have people that no longer see a need to be here at all. And quite honestly, church, and this falls, this falls right here, right in these, in these shoes, we have facilitated that. We have allowed it because it was the next big thing and it was the great new toy. It was the decoder ring you find in the cereal box. If you don't know what that is, those of you in the younger generation, you can go find it on the Google, okay? Decoder ring, look it up. 
<laughs> and we began to rely too much on these things. And we took away the responsibility of being a church member, a church attender, and we just turned it into a way that people can just observe, just, just be part of, but not really participate. Did you know that, that worship, praise, the praise and worship service we have here is not supposed to be the fuel in your tank first? You know that? The praise and worship that we have on Sunday mornings is supposed to be an offering to God. Let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We offer up the sacrifice of praise. We offer, we give the gift of worship. The Bible says, then God inhabits our praise and meets with us. And the door is open between us and him for communion. And that's when the Holy Spirit can now work in our lives. But man, we've turned worship into an experience. We have smoke machines and light shows and dance parties on Sunday morning. See, like I said, people aren't going to like that. We have taken... We have taken our focus off the object of worship and put it on the process of worship. You understand what I'm saying? We no longer are worshiping God in our worship. We're worshiping the process of worshiping God. It's really cool to have a live band. And I love the fact when I was growing up, most of these instruments wouldn't be allowed on the stage in the churches I grew up in. Okay. It was a piano and an organ. Occasionally, they might allow somebody to play a guitar if they were singing a solo. But you couldn't do those things in the churches I grew up in. So I love the fact that we have individuals that can express, that they can use the gifts that God has given them musically. But we've gone beyond the purpose. We, we have forgotten the true purpose of worship. And instead of worshiping who we're supposed to be worshiping, the object of our worship, who is God Almighty. We are worshiping the process now. We've bought into the entertainment mentality. And we try to keep up because we're afraid of losing our audience. No longer is it the family of God. No longer is it brothers and sisters. Now we're afraid of losing our market share. Now we're afraid of losing our audience. As we, I, I, I got an email this week from a, I, I, not a personal email, it was an email from uh, a, a national leader, a national pastor. And I'll, I'll name him, his name is Alistair Begg and outstanding Bible teacher, just a fantastic Bible teacher. And I have enormous respect for, for uh, Pastor Begg because he wrote in this email, he said, I want you to understand. I said, I have to clear something up. He says, he, he said, we are moving away from, we're still going to have our live feed, but it's going to be on our, our, our website. We're no longer going to be having a live feed. Uh, or on, on Facebook, he said, because of this reason, he said, the feedback I was getting from people that were outside of my church was that they were thankful because they no longer had to watch their church. 
they could follow him. And he said, that's not right. God's plan is for local church, and you need to be connected to your local church. And when you begin to follow my church from 3,000 miles away, and that you call that your church, you're making a mistake. And we're making a mistake by facilitating that. And I respect that. I respect that enormously. It's a delicate balance. It's a tough tightrope to walk because we, have, we, we need to use these tools, but we have allowed these tools to become what we worship and what we count on and what we rely on. And what it does is take away personal responsibility and sacrifice. One group is buying into virtual church, whole hog, They've turned it into a, a, a program with commentators and, and snacks. <laughs> and others are saying, listen, we can't do it this way. Listen, if you, I'm, I'm, and I'm saying this, listen, I love, I love the fact that I watch other pastors' feeds. I've got... Uh, I, I've, got, uh, I've got pastor friends that I watch their sermons. I don't watch them on Sunday morning. I, I'm in my church on Sunday morning. I watch them throughout the week, and I think that's great. I think that's recruiting, and this is what's happening. We're pastors and churches are recruiting people from around the country and around the world to be one of theirs. Do you realize you cannot be a true church and a true church member from 3,000 miles away? You can't do it. The word church is, the word English word church is taken from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones, called together for a purpose. The idea is people that come together for a purpose. That's the idea of the word ekklesia. It's not a group that comes together from 3,000 miles away. And we have bought into all of this stuff and we have tried to keep up with the Joneses and the other churches. Like I said, because we're afraid of losing our audience, guess what? We're losing them anyway. Remember the statistics I read earlier? The statistics I used last week? Guess what? You have abandoned the love you had at first. The passion that we had to win people to Christ, the desire and the deep Desire, the deep passion we had to learn about our faith and to grow in our faith and to become, to become productive followers of Jesus, to learn the most we could and to take that out into the world. Remember the, remember the days when you were willing to charge hell with a squirt gun, as the, the saying goes? Because you were so excited about what you had learned and what you knew and what you had found out. And the good news was so good to you that you just had to share it with everybody. Well, we've lost that. We have to recognize that there are great problems in the church and that the divide is incredibly wide. And that includes New Life Church. And we also have to accept and understand and admit this. Not only is the divide incredibly wide, not only is it in our church, we don't understand it. We don't understand it. And the reason we don't understand it is because we haven't tried to understand it. I'll tell you, 
I was shocked into reality. And I go back to this all the time because I promised you and I promised those people of color, not only in our church, but who have helped me along the way, I promised that I would not drop this issue. I am not normally a dog with a bone, but on this issue, I am. Because if I finally get it, Cliff. I finally, Cliff came over and uh, picked up a, a stove yesterday with his two nephews and had a great conversation with one of Cliff's nephews. It was a conversation about race. And I finally am, I'm finally starting to get it. And I've told you last year when I preached that series on race, I was ashamed of the fact that it took me until I had two boys of color in my home as my sons for me to truly try to understand that issue. And I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to understand it. No, I'll never be able to walk in their shoes. But I believe I can understand what the issue is, what the problem is, and why it's so desperate that we all get it and try to fix it. But I'll tell you what, it has taken effort. It has taken a lot of self-introspection. And it has taken a lot of humility on my part to get to the point where I will willingly walk out. I, I do it in the gym now. I walk up to uh, s- some, uh, some black friends I have at the gym, and I'll, I've walked up to them several times and said, hey, can I ask you a question? And we have great conversation. You know what it's turned into? A couple weeks ago, one of the guys that I had a great conversation with over the summer about raising colored boys in, in society came up to me and he said, hey, John, I just wanted to ask, I just wanted to talk to you and ask you, how is it going with your boys? Thank you. That, you know what that did? That bridged a gap. That bridged, because I tried to understand his perspective and it bridged a gap. And someday, I'm claiming this, man, someday these guys that I have begun that conversation with are going to be in our church. And they're going to be hearing the gospel message about Jesus Christ. Because I was willing to to cross that divide. We've forgotten some key commands about discipleship. Including Psalm 145 verse 4. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. This is going to be a tough one for a lot of people to take. We must accept the fact, older folks, that this new generation is much more liberal in their thinking than we are much more liberal in their thinking. They don't see things the way we do. And you say, well, there's always been a generation gap. It is nothing like it is. It has never been what it's like today. It has never been like it is today. And I think the reason is, is just what I said before. We have not taken the time. We have have built a wall around our opinion and our stand, and we have turned it into a war rather than a discussion. 
And because of that, we have driven the stake in deeper and deeper and deeper and caused the chasm to become wider and wider and wider. And we must finally, not only do we have to admit that this new gener, this younger generation that's coming up is much more liberal, and that's in every area. I'm not just talking about politically, and I'm not talking about average, and you have permission from their parents. Sit down and talk with a 15 or a 16 year old kid and ask them, a Christian kid, and ask them about their morality. Ask them what they think is acceptable. Ask them what they think is right. Ask them what they think is a human right. And you can even bring up topics. And sit down and ask them and get their opinion on this stuff. And I'm telling you, it will startle you. And we must finally have the courage and character to admit that there is a deep division between the races in churches. And it's very, very wide as well. And that's on both sides. That's on both sides. I have tried since, I've tried for almost a year now to reach out. I've, I've reached out to pastors of color. I've, and it's just, it, it just goes so far. I've lost friends over this time, pastoral friends, because I've called them on there. I told them, I, I, and I, I probably said this from the pulpit too. I said, you know, this is going to pass. We're going to forget it. We're going to forget it. And we're just going to move on to the next, the next issue. And that's when I promise you, if you remember, you can go back and look at the, the videos from back when I preached that series. That's when I said, I will not let this go. Because if nobody else gets it, I want new life to get it. Because we live, we are connected to a minority majority city. And if we're going to reach our community, our community is a minority majority mission field. You understand that, right? White folks, our mission field isn't white. Our mission field is truly a colored mission field. White, black, brown. One of the, one of the Bible studies I'm wanting to, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about doing is now that we have seen people of color come, start coming to our church, I want, I want to kick the doors down, man. I want to see it wide open. And we have some Spanish-speaking people who can teach and have taught the Bible and have preached. And I, want to, I want to open that up and have a Spanish Bible study on Wednesday nights. I want to be able to offer something to our entire community. To, to as many as possible, I should say. So what? What does that all mean? What does my little tirade blow up with an action plan that I am guilty of what I just said is the problem? And we are full of sound and fury signifying nothing, right? It means that we need to attempt to hear with new ears. We must attempt to hear with new ears. In Matthew 7, the deaf man, he heard with new ears when Jesus healed him. 
And the voice of God was the first sound he had ever heard in his life. Can you imagine that? Dude was born deaf. And Jesus, the Messiah, healed him. And the first sound he heard was the voice of God. Man. Listen, folks, if we're going to fix this problem, we have got to begin to hear with new ears. That means you have got to allow God to transform your listening skills and take them from from offensive and defensive to conciliatory and to conversational and listening. It's that, what what did your mom and dad or your grandmother used to tell you? God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you need to listen twice as much as you talk, right? What is it that God wants to say to you with your new ears. How many times in the New Testament did Jesus say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He wants to speak to you. He doesn't just want to hear from you. He wants to speak to you. Listen with new ears. See them with new eyes. See them with new eyes. Look on them. Remember when Jesus, before before. Uh, during Passion Week, he looked over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times have I desired to take you under my wings? Remember all the times during his ministry when the Bible says Jesus was bone tired. And the Bible said that he looked with compassion on those who had followed him. And he got up and continued to minister to them. He saw them with fresh eyes, with new eyes. That's the way we need to see people. We need to see people and see issues with new eyes. Why? Because our old eyes aren't working right. Our old eyes aren't quite cutting it. And we only see what we want to see. We must ask ourselves... And I think this is a big question, folks. We've got to ask ourselves, do I make people better? Do I help my brothers and sisters to grow in Christ? Or do I help them to grow in their anger over a political election? Do I spread, do I, do I spread things that I can't prove? Do I spread hate and anger and ugly? Or is it my determination to share the love of Jesus Christ? Do I even know how? See, that's part of the problem there too. And this all goes back to we've turned it into an app on our phone. You know what the hardest thing I've had to do in this church is in the, eight, in the almost 19 years I've been the pastor? Get people to understand that they need to be discipled in their faith. It's the, it's the least attended, least desired program we have in this church is basic discipleship. Why? Because I've got an app on my phone. I downloaded the Bible app. Hey, hey, the Bible app gives me a blurb every day. Gives me a little, a little ditty that I can read in a scripture. That's a real nice thought for the day. It's like an extra cup of coffee. 
But that doesn't dig down deep and build character in your soul. Folks, you need to be discipled in your faith. I continue to learn. I signed up. I'm not, I'm not a degree guy. I'm not, I'm not chasing a degree because I, I don't want to be, I, I just want to take any different class that I can. So I find classes online. There's a lot of free online classes out there, and there's a lot of classes you can audit on master's and doctoral programs in theology. So I take them. I take classes in, uh, in counseling and things like that. I read articles. I read uh, all kinds of uh, 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 um, uh, papers that people write so that I can expand and learn and grow and understand in my, in my faith so that I can be a better Christian, a better follower of Christ, a better husband to Aaron, a better father to Gabriel and Michael, and a better pastor and leader in this church. Discipleship never ends. In John 5, 35, Jesus talked about John the Baptist. He said, he was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in that light. Man, John gave off such a light that it changed people's lives. It made people better. And I think the biggest problem is this one. Too many of us have become resistant to change. Too many of us have become resistant to change. Let me just use this. I don't, listen, man, I don't really care whether you like a mask or not. I don't really care. Can I, can I just say, and I, please, I say this with love. I say that, Vicki, I'm saying it with love. Risa, I'm saying it with love, okay? And these are two women who are sitting here with masks on in our congregation. Our entire congregation has a mask on today. There's a reason why doctors and nurses wear masks in an operating room. Because it protects the patient and it protects them. If you think that this, this virus is a joke or is a lie, you're a fool. I have one dear friend who, lives two, who lived two blocks away from me who died from this. I had this. I know many people who have had it. It may not be terrible for you, but it takes the lives of other people. Some people are more concerned with their freedom to not have to wear a mask than they are with the fact that if they would just put a mask on, they might have credibility with some people and be able to share the gospel with them. We become so resistant to change that we lose credibility. We're allergic to it. We try to get vaccinated against it. We hide from it. We argue against it. We don't want to change. Our hearts have become hard to the things of God all the while we think we're doing God's work when we boldly stand for the truth while at the same time turning people away. <clears throat> and for some reason, America and God, and if we violate that covenant that God will, God will judge America. And I, see, that goes back to the fact that you've turned, the, you've turned your faith into an app on a phone. You don't know what you're talking about. That's just silliness, man. It's ridiculous. Consistent change has always been part of God's plan. This is nothing new. 
Consistent change has always been part of God's plan. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Constant examination and refreshing has always been part of God's strategy for growth. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Con- Let me say that again. Constant evaluation and personal introspection has always been a part of God's curriculum of discipleship. God is all, the Bible is, the New Testament, the teachings of of the local church, of individual responsibilities, all about looking at yourself and delving inside to who you are and evaluating your walk with the Lord and seeing what areas are weak and trying to strengthen them. That's why we had a two-week fast, so that we could sit down and spend some time with God and focus on our, our weaknesses so that we can grow stronger. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 say, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. The word old and new is in there. The old, the old, the old, the new has got to come. He's always talking about your growth as new, new, new. Do you realize that sometimes the new becomes old? You realize that, right? There comes a time when the new becomes old. I wear, I, I found a pair of, uh, I did a funeral a couple weeks ago, and I was lame for a couple days after it because had to stand up and do the, the funeral in the funeral home, and then we had a graveside service, and the graveside service was in about 20-degree weather, and I had to walk from my car across the graveyard up, to, up, up a hill, and I did it in shoes that weren't the best for my leg and my foot. I actually did a funeral before that in a pair of boots, <laughs> which was not the smartest thing, and so I went online, and I wear Nike Air Pegasus. They were des- they're designed for people with orthopedic issues, especially with knee injuries. And I found a pair of Nike Air Pegasus that are all black, and they even have lo- what looks like patent leather. And I said, that's it. I bought them, and they're sitting. I've never worn them. They're for occasions where I need to wear dress shoes. Okay? Why? Because I've got several pairs of Nike Air Pegasus. But those brand new Air Pegasus at some point become old. And I have to replace them. Because the new becomes old at some point. And it's the same way in our walk with Jesus. Sometimes the new becomes old. And we have to replace it with new and replenish it and refresh it with new. And constant sacrifice and challenging of our for us. I said, here am I, send me. When did you, you say that to God last? What we say now, God, is, hey, God, entertain me. Hey, God, put on a show for me. That's what I want. Tickle, tickle my ears, God. It's not what he said. 
That's not, what, that's not God's plan. That's not God's method. God uses the willing. Isaiah said, I heard a voice saying, who will go for me? And he volunteered. He says, I'm here. Send me. That's not just a missionary verse. That's a verse for every follower of Jesus Christ. God, I'm here. I know, I know there are gaps to fill. I know there are positions of ministry that need. I know there are people that need to hear the gospel, God. Here am I. Send me. Mark 10, 21 says, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. What is Jesus saying? That you have to be in poverty to be a follower of Jesus? No. What he was saying is take that attitude and take that desire and take the, the, the passion with which you chase worldly goods and put it behind you and come and follow me. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The heartbreaking verse in that song, for those of you who know that, though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the call, man. That's the call. That's another way of, that's a, another rendition of the Great Commission. You'll receive that power. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to allow, are you going to work out those spiritual muscles? Are you going to put as much effort into your spiritual well-being as you do into your physical well-being? So many of us, so many, so many of you watch your diet, right? You want to put the right food into your physical body. Do you watch your spiritual diet as much as you watch your physical diet? Many of us work out and go to the gym. My boys, thank God. Oh, thank God my boys are back in school full time now every day. They were both put into cohort D last week. So every day, Gabriel and Michael will be back in school. You know what that means for me? That means that I now have the freedom to be able to get better. But I'll tell you what, it motivates me to put as much and, not, and, and more effort, effort and emphasis into my spiritual body and my spiritual exercise than my physical. <clears throat> and constantly reconnecting with our purpose when we stray has always been part of God's plan for your personal righteousness. Constantly reconnecting with our purpose. That's what we're going to be doing. Okay? None of this is going to be the new, the, the new toy in the cereal box. What we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks and what we're going to be looking to do, I, in fact, I've got, a, I've got a, a, a name for it because I like to name everything. What's old is what's new. Because we're going back to the basics. Back to basic training, if you will. A common theme is running through a lot of churches nowadays. Even Bill Hybel preached a series, Come and See. It was all about inviting people to come to church. Just tell them to come to church, man. You may not know how to share with your faith with them, but just invite them to come to your church. There's a reason why you came here. Give them a reason to come here. But Come and See overtook the rest of the Great Commission. 
And discipleship started to fall by the wayside. And the come and see philosophy of ministry isn't working anymore because nobody's coming to church and nobody's seeing anything anymore. That's just the fact of the matter. I gave you the statistics to prove that. So the changes we're making are not revolutionary changes. <laughs> They're just getting back to basics, man. And you know, I've heard, I've heard many of our people, especially our leaders, have said that to me. And that's, those of you who, those of you who, have, have, been, uh, who have been conversing with me on this kind of stuff, I want you to know I heard what you had to say. And quite honestly, I had a conversation with Lewis several weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and the Holy Spirit used that conversation to spur the, the, the idea of bringing it all together and getting Wednesday night started up again. Thank you, Lewis. I appreciate you being willing to speak truth to me. And it's all about getting back. I've had great conversations. I mentioned it last week with Osvaldo, and Osvaldo doesn't hold back, man. There's a... There's a part of me that's really happy that Osvaldo is learning English because if, he, if we could speak English together, I think what he has to say would be a lot more pointed. <laughs> but I appreciate it. And I've heard the, the words that, that these leaders have had to say to me. And it's, it, it's gotten through. And I'm telling you, folks, we're not, we're not revolutionizing church. We're just going to be doing it the way we're supposed to. I think there's some important admissions that will help us refocus very quickly. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we're losing the battle of church growth. And there aren't too many churches that are winning it. In fact, we're seeing churches close down at record rates right now. We're seeing pastors drop out of ministries left and right. We're seeing pastors, pastors' wives and pastors' families not only break up, but commit suicide, have physical and mental breakdowns. We're losing the battle. We've got to admit it. We're losing the battle of discipleship. We're losing the battle of creating new disciples and raising up a new generation. And that's on us, the older group. That's on us. Whether we like it or not, we have to admit that. We're losing that battle. Don't you know? I gave you the statistics. We're losing that battle. We're losing this generation. If we don't do something drastic and do it now, very soon it will be too late. I firmly believe that if we don't make changes, within a year we will see the, the America will be like Europe post-Christian. You realize that we're Massachusetts and New England is classified as post-Christian. You understand that, right? When, when, uh, when people who study such things classify areas of the country, New England is classified as post-Christian. That means we are beyond Christianity. Not a good place to be. This. By the way, there comes a point in time where you need to stop praying and start acting. Prayer, many times, let me say this, and you, please hear me, with, hear me with new ears on this. Many times, prayer can be an excuse. Oh, I'll pray about it. 
What did God say to Moses? Remember when Moses said, God, why, after the battle of Ai, God, why weren't you with us? And he's on his knees, pouring out his heart to God. God said, get up. Get up off your knees. There's sin in the camp. My gosh, go take care of it. And too many times we use the excuse that I'm going to pray about it or pray for it instead of acting. Remember James in the book of James? James says, faith without works is dead. Being alone. It's time for action. In short, if we don't do something now, we will literally be making the decision to allow people to go to hell for all eternity without a fight. That's the fact of the matter. We're going to see the church in America, our church in East Long Meadow, survive beyond this generation. We must honestly and truthfully examine ourselves, everything about ourselves. Is it working? Are we functional? Are we effectively reaching people? Not are we relevant for relevance sake. Are we making an eternal difference in the lives of real people of all ages? Are we fulfilling the great commission and winning our world to Jesus Christ? And our world, folks, is right here. How many, we, we don't travel to Asia every day. We don't drive the Audubon in Germany. Our world is right here. Are we winning our world? Are we affecting our world for Jesus Christ? These are the questions that we must find answers to. And those are the problems that we must find solutions for. How do we do a 180 and stop the decline? Come back next week and we'll talk about it. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being here. Lord, I thank you for faithful, faithful people, both live and online, who will watch and listen and, and hear hard things. Lord, I know this has been a hard series, God, and something you've worked on me for a while. God, once I opened my ears and opened my eyes and saw with new things and heard, saw with new eyes and heard with new ears, Lord, it was amazing what you taught me. Lord, I pray that your word will find good soil and that its seed will be planted in hearts and will grow and bear fruit. Lord, it's not too late. We still have time. And I pray that each of us, including me, will hear the challenge and respond and get excited about it, God. May our passion be to reach our world with your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.